Amen. And, uh, but I have to tell you a little story I heard of a dad taking his uh, uh, fourth grade boy and sixth grade boy to school on the last day of school. And unfortunately, the fourth grade boy, he was in crutches and he had to bring cupcakes to, to class for his last day of school. And so the dad said to this sixth grader's uh, brother, would you take the cupcakes for your younger brother? And he says, nah, I'm just not feeling it today. And the dad's like, I think there's a teachable moment here somewhere. So, so he says to his, his son, he said, now, what would Jesus do? And he thought for a moment and he said, well, Jesus would heal him. <laughs> so, yeah. Smart kid, right? Anyway, well, we're going to go to school on God's Word here, and uh, so you're not out of school. Uh, and I titled this message, Approaching God with Confidence. You can be turning to Ephesians chapter 3, Approaching God with Confidence. The first three chapters in the book of Ephesians is really doctrinal. It's who we are, seated with Christ. Then we start chapter 4, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about our walk with Christ. What does it mean to practically live in a walk with Christ? And then when we get to chapter 6, we're going to get into spiritual warfare. When things really get difficult in our lives, how can we take our stand? And that's what we called sit, walk, stand for our series through Ephesians. And just to give you a little um, appetizer for what's coming up, after we finish Ephesians, we're going to jump into the Old Testament. We're going to do the book of Jonah. Excited about that. Then we're going to come back and finish where we're at. We're going to go into Philippians and Colossians. I think we can get that done before Christmas. And I'm super excited for in January because we're going to do the book of Daniel. And uh, it's really got a lot of great prophecy. I know as pastors, it's going to require a lot of extra study for us as pastors. But it's, it's going to be good. So just to give you what your appetite for what's coming up. Don't you love God's word, by the way? You know, I just, I just love the opportunity. I consider it such a privilege to be able to teach the Word here. And uh, speaking of that, let's get in. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, right there, we got to just stop and just take some time. I, Paul, the prisoner of, of Jesus Christ? Now, Paul at this time, he's a prisoner in Rome. He's likely chained to a Roman guard. They, most people believe he was on like a house arrest, but he didn't have full freedom. People could come and go and so forth. But he was chained to a guard. And he is not saying here, I am Paul, I'm, I'm a prisoner of the Romans. Or I'm Paul, a prisoner of the Jewish people that had me arrested. He's saying, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Does, does that make you stop and think? I mean, it does me, like, What's what's Paul thinking here? And I know what he's thinking now as I've studied, and I believe, hopefully you'll see the same thing. Paul realized there's something over the Roman government, that he is so submitted to the will of God that he realized that God has ultimate control. And he realizes this, that in such a way that I'm submitted to God, that my life is in his hands, that really, if I'm a prisoner... I'm of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to make the best of any opportunity. And he did. You know what he did while he was in that, in that prison of the home arrest of, in Rome? He wrote four books of the Bible. The one we're reading, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon. 
I would say he made good use of his time, right? The other thing, too, that was kind of interesting is that Paul, while he was, you know, arrested, he, he had these guards that were chained to him. And I'm sure that he was sharing the gospel with them constantly. They couldn't get away from him. And it was like, you know, sometimes if people don't want to hear your, your testimony, hear the gospel, you know, they don't have an excuse to get away. Well, these people couldn't. And so, but I, I think what, one of the things I see here is uh, if you go into the end of Philippians, the Apostle Paul's doing greetings to the church in Philippi. And look on the screen, this verse here. He says, all God's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Why would he say those who belong to Caesar's household? Because many of them got saved while Paul was in prison. These guards, the people that were part of Caesar's household, they couldn't get away, and they were hearing the gospel, they're getting saved. Which brings us to our first point, and this is such an important one for all of us, and that's this. Look at our circumstances as open doors for ministry. And it's easy to do that when things are going great, right? But I'm talking about the circumstances when things are going really, really hard. In fact, you're suffering right now. Look at those circumstances, those hardships, as opportunities that God can use those for his glory. In the, in the 9 o'clock service, there was a, uh, a friend of mine was here who I hadn't seen for a little while because of some medical issues, and he was here, you know, in a walker because he, you know, he just had this major surgery and so forth. He'd, he was in the hospital a lot, and he obviously did exactly what we're talking about because in his hardship, he, uh, he and his wife, I think it was his wife told my wife, Barb, that he's led over 20 people to Christ while he was in the hospital. Isn't that something? And that's the way it should be. When we are going through suffering, when we're going through a hard time, why can't we use that for God's glory? But here's what oftentimes we do. When we're, when we're suffering, we say this, why, God? Why? You know, look at me. I give money to the church. Look at me. I'm serving the church. I, I love you, Jesus. Why am I having to go through this? Is there something wrong with me? Are you up there? Do you even care for me? Why, God? But I'm going to encourage you to, to move away from the why question to this, how. How, God, can you use this for your glory? My wife, Barb, her mom, at about age, I think it was about uh, age 71, developed lung cancer. And she never smoked a day in her life. And she lived another seven years through removal of parts of her lungs and then going through eventually chemo until... The uh, lung cancer actually took her life at age 78. But I remember very clearly her mom, who was a strong believer, when she got the diagnosis of cancer, she, she said this, I'm not going to ask why, God. I'm going to ask, how can you use this, Lord? And that really is a challenge to, to all of us. You see this with Paul. He... he and you're going to see it at the end, the last verse we're going to do, he brings it back around, that he has this, this, this uh, concept of using the hardships for the glory of God. You know, when we're going through a hardship, people watch us, don't they? We have the opportunity to shine brighter when things are going tough in our lives and when everything's going great. In fact, when everything's going great, it's hard to separate a believer from a non-believer. They look kind of similar when everything's going great. But you know when you see the real difference... 
is when we go through a tough time, people in the world, they can fall apart. But we have a confidence, we have a, a strength that comes from God. So let's keep going. Um, the Apostle Paul, you see at the very end of verse 1, he says, For the sake of you Gentiles. Paul did not have to suffer. But he had a calling, and he was relentless, and that was to reach the Gentiles. The Gentiles was a part of the calling, so much so that when people, uh, the Jewish people heard that he would go to the Gentiles, it made them upset. Remember, they, they chased him out of these cities. It was, they agitated the, the crowds. And, and towards the end of Paul's life, he went one last trip to Jerusalem, and they accused him of bringing a Gentile into the courts uh, the, where they were, shouldn't have gone in the, in the temple courts, but that wasn't the case. But they stirred up an angry mob. They, they came around. They were ready to kill Paul. The Roman soldiers came in, stopped it, and then Paul was, he was given the opportunity to address the crowd. And he shared his testimony. He said, I was educated here. as I'm a, I'm a, I was a Pharisee. I was educated by one of the top rabbis here in Jerusalem. And he gave his whole testimony, how he became a believer, and they listened intently until he said one thing. When he finally said this, and you'll see it on the screen, in Acts 22, he said, Then the Lord said to me, Go, and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting, throwing off their cloaks, and flinging dust into the air. I would say it was a pretty angry mob. They were fine until he mentioned the Gentiles. There was no love between the Gentiles and the Jewish people. The Gentiles could not come into the inner courts of the, of the, of the temple. In fact, there was the, 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 the first court around the temple was only for Jewish men. Then there was another court on the outside of that was for the Jewish women. And then there was one outside of that that said that the, the Gentiles could come to. Gentiles who had converted to Christian or to uh, Judaism, but there was a sign inside the one with the with the Jewish women that said, "If a Gentile passes into here, you're responsible for your own death." There was that strong of a animosity towards them. It, it was a it was a real difference there, and so they were. Let's just say it. They were very prejudiced against the Gentiles, which brings us to another point. Prejudiced attitudes have no place in the kingdom of God. Now, today we're not experiencing too many divisions between Jews and Gentiles, are we? Yeah, there is some, you know, anti-Semitic, uh, uh, I can't even say the word, anti-Jewish, okay, I'll just say it that way. But, but there are differences, but you know, we have other differences, People are prejudiced based on skin color, what nationality you came from, what language you speak, based on your economics, maybe what political party you're a part of. What, there's all kinds of these differences. But I'm just here to say the, word, the kingdom of God, we should be united because of our love for Christ, that we have the same Holy Spirit living in us, and we have no room for prejudice in the kingdom of God. I'll get into this because this is a major part of the message. Yeah, you can clap for that. This is a major part of this message because of what Paul's trying to explain to these. Um, and you're going to see how this ties into the title about approaching God with confidence. Verse 2. Surely you have heard 
about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That word administration really could be translated to stewardship or uh, a dispense. And, and, and it's really like Paul was dispensing God's grace to the Gentiles. And uh, these people did not fully understand the gospel. They, they, uh, they had a lot of confusion because a lot of the Jewish people wanted these Gentiles. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you're going to have to become Jewish. And that was never God's intention. He did not want the Gentiles to become Jewish, and he didn't want the Jewish people to become Gentiles. There was a third group. And what was that group? The church. The church. And that's what you're going to see what Paul's bringing into, and I'm going to explain a little bit more by using this uh, analogy. I really thought, this is kind of a hard concept. Remember, these are part of the doctrinal uh, here in chapters 1 through 3. So um, I'm trying to explain it this way. Let's say you're in the UK. You're in England. You're in London. And because it's been on the news a lot, we know about the royal family, right? There's King Charles and, and the whole royal fa- family there. And would you say the royal family is privileged? You know, all their needs are met. They don't even have to drive anywhere. I'm sure they're driven around and their gourmet meals are prepared for them. They live a life of luxury, right? They live in castles and so forth. But let's say one day King Charles decides to leave the palace, leave Buckingham Palace and head over to, he hears about a homeless camp outside of London. And in this homeless camp, they're not just homeless people. But they're people who hate the monarchy. They hate the royal family. They speak out against it. And King Charles goes there. He brings a bus along with him. And he rounds up a whole busload of people and says, I want you to come and be a part of the royal family. I'm inviting you to come in, be in the royal family, full privileges, everything. And you can come and be just like all the rest of the royal family. You're invited to come. Now, think about that for a moment. What would the attitude be of the rest of the royal family? Charles has lost his mind. What is he doing? We don't want these type of people here with us. What would the, the homeless group of people, what would they feel like? Uh, I don't think we really belong here. Uh, we don't feel accepted. We don't feel like we're wanted here. We, we, we stick out. We're a little different here. Now, I want you to picture As Gentiles, who are we in this story? We're like the homeless, okay? And you you have a a group of people, the Jewish people. Remember, their heritage. They were the ones that had the relationship with God. They had the word of God. You know, God was doing miracles on their behalf, parting the Red Sea, giving them the law and all these different ceremonial things. They had the temple. They had all their forms of worship. They had their psalms. They had the relationship with God the creator, The Gentiles did not. They had multi-gods and all this type of stuff. So you picture that. Big difference, right? Can you you picture that the Gentiles here would have a hard time coming with confidence into into the royal family? This is what Paul was trying to get across with this group of Gentiles. You can come with confidence. God is doing something different. He's bringing two groups together as one. The one group, the Jewish people, hated it. They didn't want it, and that's why they wanted to kill Paul. You're bringing these Gentiles in. No, we don't want them. And the Gentile people, how did they feel? I don't think we're wanted. We don't belong. This isn't isn't for us. 
And you're about to see, this, this is setting the stage for what we're about to read because this is the, why this was so significant, why God took time to really explain this in the Word. Verse 3. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to people in other generations as it's now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. We've got two things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the revelation and the mystery. First of all, what was that revelation? Well, that revelation first came to Paul when he was saved on the road to Damascus. He was blinded for three days, and a man named Ananias was, spoke to him because God told him what to say to Paul. We see it here in Acts 9 on the screen. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, talking about Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. And to the people of Israel. See, he had a dual purpose. Not wasn't just for Gentiles. He also was going to proclaim the word to the to Israelites, to the Jews. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, God gave him a revelation that first of all, his his message was to go to the Gentiles, but it was going to cost him. We saw that right away. Why is he in prison? Because of the Gentiles. He had this message that was not popular. Bringing this group of people, just like I described the royal family and the homeless, bringing them all together to be one, you can imagine that would be a tough thing. And Paul, his message was to bring them all together. And it was a mystery. It wasn't truly understood. This word mystery in the original language is the word mysterion. Mysterion, mysterion it was a different type of word for mystery than what we think of. When we think of a mystery today, we think about, what happened to Jimmy Hoffa? You know? <laughs> Where was he buried, or is he alive somewhere in South America? Okay? That's a mystery. Or what happened to Malaysia Flight 370 nine years ago? Left Malaysia on its way to China, disappeared over the Indian Ocean. They don't even know where it ha- what happened. Nobody has a clue. That's a mystery. We don't know. But in the New Testament, this word mysterion meant that it was, it was not understood at one time, but now it's been revealed. It was kept secret before, but now it's come to light. We now know it. So they call it a mystery, even though it's no longer a mystery. It's really made known. So that's the difference between this word and what we think of as mystery. So verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. We see three things there in verse 6. This is what this mystery was. First of all, that the Gentiles are heirs with Israel. Join heirs with Israel. They're not like separate. Picture the homeless and the royal family. They're, They're joint. They have everything in common now. They're one. Okay? So they are heirs together with Israel. They're members of one body. And throughout the scripture, we hear about this one body. And what is the one body? It's the church. It's not going back to Judaism. It's the church. It's the one body. And whose body is it? It's the body of Christ, of Jesus. And they share together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So these are the three things that are the mystery. Now, why could that happen? 
Well, I think it's further explained in Galatians 3.28. You'll see this on the screen. Or excuse me. Um, no, I, I want to I share Galatians 3.28 for a moment because this, this is an important part of it as well. And this is actually a principle that's found in other verses as well. There is neither Jew nor den- or Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now leave that verse up there for a moment because I want you to understand the significance. And I didn't really understand this until I studied this for this message. It came to light finally. The Jewish people in the time of Christ, the Jewish males had a prayer. You know, they prayed at different times. They had their prayer times. The first thing that they would start to pray as a Jewish man was, thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. You see why now the significance of this verse? Because they had an attitude issue. They saw themselves as as superior. And God's saying, for there to really be a church body, there has to be unity. we got to get rid of these prejudices. And so this is the significance. There's no, no longer, there's no, neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, we are all one. And now you're going to see in a moment another furtherance of this um, mystery of why this could happen. Look at Colossians 1.27. Next slide, please. There you go. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery again, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was a mystery. It wasn't understood in previous generations that Jesus Christ would come and live in his followers in the form of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, that this is what Paul was really talking about. You can't have disunity. And I I was thinking about this because uh, so often we build our unity around people that are just like us, right? And most of the time we do that with our family, okay? We have our family unit and so forth. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when we moved our family here from Iowa 23 years ago, all, all of our, our, most of our relatives were in Iowa, all my relatives and most of Barb's, and we'd get together with our relatives for different holidays. And one of the big ones we'd get together with my family was Easter. And it was always a big gathering of people. We were all blood relatives and so forth. Well, we get down here. We didn't have any family down here. It was my wife and I and our three kids. And so Easter was coming along, and we were like, what do we do for Easter? Well, I don't know. But Barbara and I had gotten into a small group. Shameless plug for a small group again. <laughs> Got to get into a small group. We got into a small group right away, and we started to make some relationships with people in a small group. And so we said to this group, Easter's coming. If you don't have plans, come over to our house. Just bring something to share. Bring your kids, and we'll just have uh, a meal after Easter services at our house. Just come, and, and we'll just have a nice, relaxing time. Well, I think we had about 30 people come, uh, adults, some kids, and, and we just had a great time. You know, we had such a great time. Not only did we have a, a, a noon type of meal, they stayed all afternoon till we got time for the evening meal. And we got the leftovers out, and we made a whole nother meal out of it. And afterwards, Barbara and I were thinking, we had so much fun. It was so close. We felt so close, these people, but these were not our blood relatives. But you know what we had? We had something in common that's, that's stronger than blood. 
We had Christ in us. These were other Christ followers. This is the, the importance of being in small groups, of being with other Christ followers, or you're building relationships together. You're praying for each other. We had a member of our small group where, you know, we've had different challenges go on in different people's lives and so forth, and we're able to pray for each other, strengthen each other. Sometimes people say, well, nobody from the church did anything. Well, the church is us. It's groups. It's people. You know, you have to be in relationship. It's not a building. It's not even an organization. It's a group of people, right? So I just encourage you, this is what brings us together. And this is what Paul was trying to do with the Gentiles and with the Jewish people. How can I bring this group of people that are so fractured, so divided, how can I bring them together? Because it was truly a mystery that God was wanting one body made up together because of the commonality of Christ in us. Let's go on verse 7. It says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. That word servant in the original language is diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon. In other words, it's a servant who is like working. It's like a, a servant serving tables. That's that, that diakonos. And Paul said, I became a servant of this grace, but I did it in God's power. And this is our next point for all of us, because many of you are serving. If you're not, I encourage you to serve. It's, it's what God calls us to do. It's a command of his to serve him. And our serving, though, must be connected to God's power. If you're serving and you're doing it in your own strength, eventually you're going to probably quit. You're probably going to burn out, and you're going to say, ah, oh, what's the use? But if you're serving with his power, you're going to serve in a way that's different. You won't burn out because the Spirit of God is going to strengthen you. And, and I can just tell you that in my years of serving, I know when I did it in my own strength, and I know when I'm doing it in God's strength, and it's totally different. Just encourage you. Paul saw that. He saw that this is why I can continue to keep doing it. Even in the face of all these difficulties, even being in prison, I'm a servant of God's grace because of His power. Verse 8. Although I'm... The le- less, although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people. Some of your versions might say of the saints. He said, I'm the, I'm the least of the saints of the, of the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. In other words, we can't even fathom how the, the riches of Christ that we have in our relationship with Christ. You know, I'm, I proclaim it, but I, I'm falling short because it's boundless, the, the riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. It goes back to that mystery again. Which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. In other words, God didn't reveal in the past, not until after the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this, this mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles becoming one. And really it started on the day of Pentecost when people gave their lives to Christ. Now, it started with a group of Jewish people there in Jerusalem, but then it began to spread. And next thing you know, remember Jesus' last words to his disciples. He said, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. He wanted them to take the gospel beyond Judaism, beyond Israel. This was the heart of God, always. But you see the humility of Paul, don't you? He calls himself less than the least of the Lord's people. And it really challenged me. I found two other places in Scripture where he talks about 
his humility, really, or he demonstrates it because in 1 Corinthians 15, Apostle Paul called himself the least of the apostles. Here in Ephesians 3.8, he says the least of the believers. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says the worst of sinners, which I think is a challenge to all of us. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote 12 or 13 books of the Bible, however you want to count them. This is a guy who was a leader of leaders, and he's saying this type of stuff about him. It was a challenge for all of us in leadership, and I speak mainly to myself here, to make sure I don't get prideful. Paul could have said, oh, you know, look at me. I did this on do that, and God probably would not have used him like he did. Humility prepares the Spirit of God to flow in and through an individual. I challenge the pastors all the time. We're seeing growth at all of our campuses right now. We're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing the church grow. It's, it's exciting to be at Calvary Chapel. But let me tell you, I've warned the pastors, we're in danger. You know why we're in danger? As leaders, because we could become prideful. We could start to take credit for it. No, it's by the Spirit of God. And if we stay humble and we stay full of His power, there is no telling what God is going to do. So you keep us, you keep us pastors humble, okay? You see pride in us, call us out on it. We don't want to be. We want to make sure. Remember our mission statement. The first thing in the mission statement is we exist to glorify God. That's why we're here. Me, it starts with me as a senior pastor, all the way through all of our leaders and so forth. That We have to make sure it's always about him. Paul had this down. So here's our next point. Live as humble servants, saved, gifted, and called by God's grace. There's no celebrity pastors that are going to be here. Okay? We are just humble servants. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So this is what the, Jesus was our example. But for our lives, we're saved, gifted, and called by God's grace. It's not, you know, he didn't like, oh boy, that was a great catch getting him or her. No, we're all sinners. It's all about him, his grace. Let's keep going. Verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me just take a moment on those two verses. First of all, the manifold wisdom. Uh, the word manifold is like multifaceted. You could picture a diamond, a cut diamond. It's got many different facets. The wisdom of God has many different facets to it. And God's saying here in his word is that the wisdom of God is multifaceted. There's so many different dimensions to his wisdom. But the, the, his wisdom would be made known by the church, by us, by us being unified, by us being one, being together. It's going to be made known. And who's it going to be made known to? It says right there in the verse, it says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Well, who is that talking about? Well, we'll see more of it when we get into the sixth chapter. It's really talking about the angels and the fallen angels. It's the spiritual beings that are out there. They're looking intently and they're saying, wow, God is incredible. He's taking these messy people, these sinners. You see all this stuff they do, and he's pouring out his grace on them. It's not related to us. It's not because we're great. It's because he's great. 
And it's almost like showing the, the angelic beings and even the fallen angels, those demons, is showing them how great God is that God's chosen us and poured out his grace. So anything good that you see in Christians is really not about us, really. It's about him. And so we just always keep that in, in mind. And God's chosen to do this through the church. So don't give up on the church. Church is really important. Um, how many of you lately have shopped at Kmart? Montgomery Wards? Sears? You know, if the Lord tarries in 100 years, 200 years, there probably won't be Amazon, probably won't be Walmart. But you know what there will be? The church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, I can't say whether it'll be Calvary Chapel or not, but it won't. But it's the church. The church of Jesus Christ is bringing them together where Christ lives in a group of people. The church is until the Lord comes, the church is going to be here. Man's institutions are going to come and go. Countries are going to rise and countries are going to fall, just like companies. But the church, God has chosen to make that wisdom known through the church. Look at 1 Timothy 3.15. It says, Paul saying this to Timothy, he says, If I'm delayed, you will know how to, uh, you ought to conduct, uh, uh, people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, I love this last part, the pillar and foundation of the truth. God has chosen us, us messy people, to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. That the world around us that don't know the truth, in fact, they say there is no truth. Next time they tell you there's no truth, say, is that true? <laughs> you, just, you just caught them then. But we are the pillar and foundation of the truth. And this book is truth. It gives us the guidelines. It gives us the commands. It gives us the character of God. Let's keep going. Verse 12. In him and through him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is why I named the, the title of this, Approaching God with Confidence. See, as we all come together, just going back to those Gentiles, if Gentiles really see that their role is to be united with Israel, not as Jewish people, but as a church that they can have confidence to come before God. This is what God is saying in his word. I want you to be free and confident. No shame. And I, I was thinking of this too. You know, uh, I've got grandkids here in the church, and oftentimes when they see me in the commons or so forth, they'll come running up to me and give Papa a big hug. See, to me, I'm not Pastor Dave. I'm Papa. They have confidence. But strange kids aren't going to do that. Although Pastor Norm has a grandson that's really friendly. Christopher, he, he will come up to me. But you know what? You have confidence. See, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to feel confident that we can come to him. And why is this so important? Because many of you right now, you don't feel confident before God. Because you're walking in shame and fear. You're saying, yeah, but see, I, I've messed up too many times. I've blown it. God... God knows me, and he doesn't want anything to do with me. That's the enemy lying to you. He wants you. He wants you to come to him. Look at the next passage of Scripture on the screen from Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Many of you don't come to that throne of grace. You don't receive help. 
because you don't feel confident. You've listened to the enemy's lies, and you don't feel worthy. And let me just tell you, you're not worthy. That's why it's grace. I'm not worthy either. But he wants us to come. And this is why this is so important for all of us. Many of you right now probably don't have regular quiet times. Quiet times where I'm talking about being in the Word, to have time of prayer, maybe a time of worship. And I don't believe it's because you're too busy, too busy. Because you know what? We all have the same 24 hours a day. You know what I believe? A lot of times people keep people away. Well, they might say they're too busy. Is they don't approach God because they don't have confidence. Oh, I know what I just told my spouse last night. I said terrible stuff. I, uh, I know what I've been doing in secret. Nobody knows, but I just don't feel like God wants me to be in his... I, I don't want to approach God. See, you don't understand the mercy of God. You don't understand. He doesn't love you because you're lovable. He loves you because he is God, and he is God of love, and he wants you to come to him. And the more you can come to him, the more you're, he's going to fill you with his power his, and his spirit in a way that's going to help you to overcome the things you're struggling with. And, and some of you have bought the lie that when I get my life all cleaned up, then I'll come to God. No. Come to God. Just come to him. All messy. He loves messy people. And then watch him work. And God, oh, man. His arms are wide open for you today. Don't let the enemy lie to you any longer. Come to him with confidence. Come to him with freedom. Remember what Adam and Eve did when they sinned? They hid. They were in shame. They were in guilt. They were in fear. God went looking for them. God's looking for us today to come to him. So here's our next point. Understanding God's grace helps us be confident in his presence. Understand his grace. See, it's not about you. It's about him. His grace means that he's willing to give to you. You will never earn it. You'll never deserve it. He wants to give his grace to you. Come to that throne of grace. Be confident. I come back to these Gentiles. They did not feel confident. They did not feel welcome because of what the Jewish people were putting on them. Saying, well, you're going, to come, you're going to come to Jesus. You're going to have to get circumcised. You're going to have to eat all these dietary laws. You're going to have to really change. I loved her song about get rid of the, the tradition and the religion that we just sang about, right? Make room for God. You know, get rid of those. Break down those walls of tradition. Our last verse, verse 13. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are, for, which are your glory. Paul ends here like he began. You know, he talked about being a prisoner. He's saying, yeah, I'm going through suffering, but don't be discouraged by it. My suffering is actually for your good, for your glory. So here's the next point, or last point. Hardships can serve an eternal purpose if we look past ourselves. Let that one sink in for a moment. Because when we go through a hardship, what do we generally do? We get inward. We look at ourselves. Paul didn't do that. Neither should we. We look past ourselves. Our hardships can serve an eternal purpose. They can help people come to Christ. 
I remember a family member once came to Christ because, and they said, we were watching you and Barb's life for many years and we saw you had something different that we didn't have and we wanted it. People are watching you. Do you look any different than the world? If you don't look any different than the world, then they're going to say, that Christian, no, Christians are no different than anybody else. But remember what it says, I think it was in Matthew, maybe chapter 4. Five or so, where it says, let your, shine, let your light shine before men in such a way that they'll see your good deeds, see your works, and they'll give the glory to God. They'll see there's something special. The glory goes to God. See, hardships can be tremendous if we don't give up, if we can see an eternal purpose. Our last verse on the screen is this, Galatians 6, 9 through 10, says this, let us not become weary in doing good. Now, why would Paul have to say this? Because people are in hardship. Don't become weary in doing good, for at proper time you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So many times we give up in the hardships. We give up. But but this is a promise. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers. In other words, we should be doing good to all people, even people in the world, but especially he's asking us to do good to the fellow believers, to the people in the church, uh, to the people in your small group. (laughs) Don't give up. Amen? So let me just do a quick little review with you. First of all, we want to see our hardships as open doors. If you have any prejudice attitudes... I pray that right now, today, you will repent of them. It's not from God. It's from the enemy. He, he comes to divide. A house divided against itself will not fall, or will fall. He does not want us to be divided. We need to serve God with his power in a humble type of way, and we want to come to God with confidence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word here today, Lord. It's been challenging. But I pray that each and every one of us would take the truths that we just studied and learned, Lord, and we get them from our head down into our heart. Help them to, to change who we are. That when we go through hardships, we can truly look past ourselves. We can see open doors for ministry, that we can move from the why to the how. I pray of any of us that have prejudiced attitudes in our hearts that today we repent of those and get rid of those prejudiced attitudes. For we are all one in Christ. The Holy Spirit living in us unites us with other believers. I pray, Lord God, for those who are maybe serving and they're doing it in their own strength and they're becoming weary. Let them tap into your power. I pray for those who are serving and maybe they're doing it in a prideful way, Lord God. Help them to do it in a humble way. Help them to repent of their pride and I'd be a humble servant before you. And I pray all of us would approach you with confidence. And while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I want to give opportunity. If there are those who are here today who want to turn your life over to Christ, or maybe you've, you've wandered away. You used to follow Jesus, but you don't anymore. But you're here because God called you to be here today to hear this message. And you know the Holy Spirit's drawing you. You know you need to make a change in your life. You know you need to to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's where real life comes from. And I'm just...
going to challenge you, if that's you today, and you want to give your life to Christ or rededicate your life back to Christ, I'm just going to ask you, raise your hand up high. I want to pray with you right there while you're in your seats. Don't want to embarrass you. Yep, in the back there, I see you. Anybody else? Yep. Yep. Others of you. Okay? Yes. Other hands. Other lives. People, people turning your lives over to Christ today. It's not a religion, okay? It's a relationship with Jesus Christ you're asking for. How about in the balcony, okay? Anybody else? It's really between you and God, but by raising your hand, you're acknowledging it. It's an act of faith right now. For those of you who have your hands up, you can put them down. Let me lead you in this prayer. And it's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in the heart. You're praying to God. Just pray under your breath. Pray this. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for my sins. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sins by dying on that cross. I'm thankful that you rose from the dead on that third day. Now, please forgive me of all my sin. I put my faith and trust in you, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to come live in me so I can follow you from this day forward. Help me to be brand new, birthed by your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give a hand to those that prayed that prayer? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Awesome. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask those of you that prayed that prayer, if you would come down here, we'd like to congratulate you, give you a Bible, and just encourage you in your walk with Christ. I'm going to ask if you would stand as we're going to close in a worship song. Let's sing together. Shake up the ground.
Now, as you get ready to leave, let me just remind you a few things. First of all, if you're here and you're new, we want to welcome you to Calvary Chapel. And uh, we'd love to uh, give you some information about the church, answer any questions you, about, you have. We don't have membership here. We're just a body of people, messy people that come together and worship the Lord together. And uh, out in our commons, which is out here to our right, there's a center ring out there. We'll have some volunteers out there. Be glad to meet you and uh, answer questions you might have. Um, also, if you prayed that prayer, so important that you come down front. Cement that decision by telling someone that you did that. Making that firm. You know, Jesus said to acknowledge me before man. And that's why we give that opportunity for you to acknowledge me before man. And we'd love to have you do that. Um, if you have any other prayer needs, we'll have a prayer team down here. And the other thing, too, I, I've done this in all three services. You know, we sing that song, Make Room for God. Some of you maybe have gotten really distracted in your life. And I've just encouraged people in all the three services, if, if you want to just spend a little extra time praying, talking to God about making room in your heart for God, just come over here to the stairs. And you can kneel down here. You can pray. We're not going to come pray with you unless you ask us to. But it's just kind of a time where the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, moving in your life, and you want to do something special where you just want to come and just make a firmer commitment to the Lord. Maybe things, some things have kind of are out of whack in your life, wrong priorities. It's a great time to do that while the Spirit's moving and He's, he's speaking to you. We want to give you that opportunity. And lastly, as you're going out, just remind you of our offering boxes by the doors. Uh, thank you for your giving to the work here or whether you give online or here in person. Thank you so much. Uh, God bless you and have a great Memorial Day weekend.